Well, again, greetings. Uh, happy Sabbath. Nice to have you here today. Um, we will be taking a look at, uh, to begin with, Revelation 14 um, for our church service, but I'd like to mention a couple other things here. Uh, first off, um, I'd like to just take just one minute uh, to make an appeal to you, and I have here a envelope that will explain it, but um, I am a, a board member on the um, Heartland College. I'm a board member of the Board of Directors for Heartland College. And that school's been in existence for about 30 years. It's trained students from all over the world who have gone back to their mother countries and done a tremendous work to pre preach this last message. I've had an opportunity to mingle with these students and um, have known quite a few of them. Uh, there are students who come from impoverished countries, Central America, Africa, India, who are dear, godly young people, but they need some help. So if you would like to help, I'll have some envelopes. It'll give you some information. If you would like to help out, the Lord so leads you, uh, it would be most appreciated. And I believe it would be a place to, uh, a good place to invest for the kingdom of God. Amen. These young people are on fire, and they're young, and they love this message. So anyway, I'll have those, um, have those afterwards. Um, I would like to encourage all of you as we come into a new year to take good care of your health. And uh, you know lots of things. But, you know, one thing that's very good to keep you healthy is exercise. I would urge on everyone, even if your schedule is very tight, to do at least 15 or 20 minutes a day of good, vigorous exercise in the open air. Now, myself, I need more than that. Um, but um, it really makes a difference. So I would like to really encourage you to do that. I know some family members in my house were very sick this week. I don't say that boastfully, and I didn't get sick, praise the Lord. But uh, I thank God for the health that I have. Uh, but it's just a wonderful thing. You know, I like to go out for about 50 minutes in the morning, run six miles, and just breathe the fresh air. And it's a wonderful blessing. But do something. Walk, run, whatever. It's so fundamental to health and all the other things of life. And it's worth your time. It will pay you back in your daily time and in many other ways. So I'd really like to encourage that. Um, what I thought would be good to, to ponder as the year concludes and as we face a new year, and what an awesome time to be uh, here in this world, who can, who can express it. Um, the fact that we are seeing now world events pointing to all the signs pro of prophetic fulfillment, that Jesus is coming soon, freedoms being taken away, the escalated influence of the papacy, um, the call for Sunday observance from many quarters are being, beginning to reverberate around the world. Everything that we as Seventh-day Adventists have believed in, from a prophetic viewpoint is coming true. And brothers and sisters, may God remove far from our hearts that which was entertained in the evil servant who in Matthew 24 was said, My Lord delayeth his coming. Our Lord does not delay his coming, and he is coming soon, and we only have a certain amount of time to get ready for his coming. One thing that my wife and I are really trying to do, you know, life is busy and, of course, you know, I'm involved in the Lord's work in my weekly activities, but I still need to be doing more. Maybe you feel that way, too. So we're resolved by the grace of God to go around and, and find people that we can study with. And um, Thursday evening, my wife contacted a lady that we've had some contact with in our neighborhood, and they've made friends. And uh, so we went over to their home, and the husband was pretty sick, so we tried to help him a little bit. But anyway, we, you know, my wife gave them for one of the things she gave them for a gift was a Doug Batchelor DVD on last day events. And we talked a little bit and we offered to study with them. And the wife immediately was, yes, she was very interested. Um, the, the husband is Catholic background. I think she's Methodist. The Jehovah Witnesses have been coming around and she's been somewhat open to them. But the husband has no, will have nothing to do with Jehovah Witnesses. So anyway, we are praying and it looks real positive. There's another family I have in mind. But brothers and sisters, we just need to take the time. You know what? Getting Bible studies is just like selling. You keep asking until you get a yes. And I promise you, you will get a yes. And you know what a thrill this to plan our year, this coming year, to reach out to our neighbors and bring someone to the message. This is the work that must be done or the Spirit of God will not be poured out in these last days. Uh, at least on those who are neglecting it. By the way, the Spirit of God will be poured out. 
And I believe he is being poured out, but he will not be poured out on those who are indolent and inactive in God's work. So we need to be doing things to spread the message, share literature, share books, etc. So I just really want to encourage you to do something. Think of someone, pray about them. And you know what? We can all do it, right? So there's people out there of other religions. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And we have the knowledge, but where is our zeal? May God help us to wake up, right? I'd like to study just a little bit from Revelation 14 this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to mainly take our perspective on this from the book of Genesis. But we're going to start out in the subject that I would like to talk about today. Obviously, it's a big one, and this is only like a partial introduction to it. But I'd like to take a look at the subject of the 144,000. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to read the few verses in Revelation 14. Of course, you have also Revelation chapter 7 that describes the 144,000 and some other places in the book. We're going to read these several verses from Revelation 14, 1 through 5. And then we're going to take a look at the 144,000 through the perspective of the book of Genesis and the 12 sons of Jacob. So if you would, open your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 14. And we will read the first five verses there um, together. Revelation chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. John says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, it's obvious as you read the book of Revelation that... 144,000 are grouped based upon the names of 12 of Jacob's sons. Reuben, Simeon, uh, Levi, Joseph, Naphtali, and so forth, Issachar, and so forth. And as we study the lives of Joseph's, excuse me, Jacob, as we study the lives of, of course, it is Joseph and Jacob's sons because uh, the uh, Joseph uh, sons are also included there, at least one of them. But as we study the lives of these men, we're going to get a window and a perspective and an understanding on the 144,000. And I believe you will find this very encouraging and find it to be a wonderful blessing. But as we look here at the description that John gives here in Revelation chapter 14, it says they sing a song which no one else can sing. Now, the angels can't sing the song of redemption like any of the redeemed, but the the 144,000 will sing a song that no one else can sing. In other words, they will have a very unique experience. And that is, is they are going to live through the climax of the great controversy through the end of time. They will live on this earth without a mediator and exhibit a pure and complete loyalty to God through the time of greatest opposition and pressure that any group has ever met, and they will do so unscathed successfully because of their absolute connection with Christ. Now, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 5, it says, uh, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, the book of Revelation is obviously symbolic, and this is obviously talking about these people are not defiled with any false religion. Their, their concept of truth, their understanding of truth is pure. Okay, They have correct doctrine. They're, they're not um, in any way contaminated with incorrect doctrine. It says, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And brothers and sisters, we will not follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes in heaven if we do not follow him whithersoever he goes on earth. Right? Here is the point the main point of attachment between us 
and Jesus. And here's what it is. Paul said it. It's stated in the book Steps to Christ. Paul said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He felt his need. He clung to Christ and he was united to Christ. The book Steps to Christ, page 65, says this. It says, No deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. Let me repeat that. No deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. You know, I, I believe that in the, in the process of life, and there's a battle going on over every mind in this church and in the world, a battle between good angels and evil angels. The good angels are trying to bring us to Christ. The evil angels are trying to separate us from Christ. And one of the things that the devil does is he tries to drive into the mind discouragement by a sense of guilt from the wrongs of the past to lead us to separate from Christ. And this consciousness of our weakness and this consciousness of the sins that we have committed in the past should not drive us from Christ. It should do the opposite. It should drive us to Christ and lead us to seek more earnestly his grace and his salvation. No deep-seated love for Jesus can dwell in the heart that does not realize its own sinfulness. The less we see to esteem in ourselves, the more we shall see to esteem in the infinite purity and loveliness of our Savior. Now, there is a book, before I get into the lives of Jacob's sons, there is a book that's been written dedicated to the last generation. But this book has been dedicated to the 144,000. And it's the book Great Controversy, and I'm going to show you the statement in the Great Controversy where it says that this book is dedicated to 144,000. Okay? Now, what I have found is that it's very interesting. As you read through the book Great Controversy, uh, you will see sprinkled through the book statements that especially apply to the 144,000. Let me share with you the statement here that um, in the introduction to the book. <clears throat> this is page 11, Great Controversy, page 11. It says, in these records, we may see a foreshadowing of the conflict before us. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you know what records mean, history, okay? In these records, we may see a foreshadowing of the conflict before us. In other words, by looking at history, we have a exact type of what will happen in the future. Okay? So by studying history, we have an exact type of what's going to happen in the future. In these records, that is in this book, Great Controversies, it traces the great controversy between Christ and Satan over the last 2,000 years and the final events that will occur just before Jesus comes and so forth. We're being told that this is a type of what we will face in the future. So here is your training manual for those who will be ready for the end of time. Okay? In these records, we may see a foreshadowing of the conflict before us. <clears throat> Regarding them in the light of God's word and by the illumination of his spirit, we may see unveiled the devices of the wicked one. What this statement is saying is, is that in a preeminent sense, the book Great Controversy unveils Satan and what he's all about and his devices and his activities and his machinations against the people of God. And this book exposes the devil. And as you well know the history, the devil uh, nearly had success in destroying Ellen White after she, after she was given this information by divine inspiration. So this book unveils Satan. He does not want us to study this book, nor the book of Revelation, nor the Bible. He hates it all. Because it shows the love of Christ and it shows the saving power of Christ in these books. We may see unveiled the devices of the wicked one and the dangers which they must shun. And the dangers which they must shun. Brothers and sisters, there is a heaven to win and a hell to shun. This is reality. There is a heaven to win and a hell to shun. May God so help us that we are not deceived on this point. It says, We may see unveiled the devices of the wicked one and the dangers which they must shun. Who would be 
excuse me, <clears throat> who would be found. Now, there's two words here in quotation. No Bible reference is given, but there's two words in quotation marks. And as far as I've observed in the Bible, there is only one verse in the Bible where these two words can come from. Only one verse in the Bible where these two words can come from, and it says this. The dangers which they must shun who would be found without fault, quote, unquote, before the Lord at his coming, those two words have been lifted specifically from Revelation chapter 14, verse 5, which is describing the 144,000. It says, and in their mouth was found no guile, that is no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. All right. The Lord in these last days, he's been doing it all down through history. He's had his specimens of Salvation all down through history, the thief on the cross, Daniel, Joseph, he's had all kinds of people they saved. But in these last days, he is going to pour out his grace on a hungering group of people, and they will be called the 144,000. He is going to preeminently transform their characters and make through them a shining of the character of Christ that's going to reveal Christ to this last generation, and they will give the loud cry. It says, And the dangers which they must shun who will be found without fault before the Lord it is coming. So based on this statement, we can see clearly that this book, Great Controversy, is especially dedicated to the 144,000. Right? So read this book. Read the Conflict of the Ages series. It is rich material. Now, just a couple sprinklings uh, before we get into the book of Genesis a little bit uh, today. This, there are like two, several pages here. Um, explaining the 144,000. But before I read those, I want to read another statement in this book. This is a a chapter here describing heaven and what God's people will experience when they get to heaven and so forth. And there will be groups of people around the throne. And there's in this statement, it says there's four groups of people around the throne. Four groups of people around the throne. In fact, I'll explain it to you, and then I'm going to read the, the... statement here. There's four groups. Uh, No doubt about it, brothers and sisters, when we get to heaven, there will be classifications. um, And no one's going to be jealous over this. I promise you this, that when the Lord gives a bigger ribbon to the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, you and I are going to be very happy with it because we're going to know they deserved it. And, And I'm convinced that most, if not 100% of us that walk into heaven will be very glad that we will be, we would be very happy if there were, we were the very last one in before they shut the gate. Isn't that right? So there's going to be no jealousy in heaven. But position there will be positions assigned in heaven of leadership and service, and they will be based upon the character that was developed in this life. That's just a fact. That is just a fact. Um, you know, even in the world today, sinful as it is, character is assessed before positions are granted. Now, I know that's a lot corrupted a lot, but basically the world runs on that. You know, if you're not qualified, you don't have the integrity, you're not given the responsibility. I mean, that's, that's just reality. So there's four groups around the throne, and the group, the largest group is the group outside. That's the great multitude of redeemed that uh, no, no man can number. Then there's another group just in closer to that, and that are those are the ones who have been martyred. Okay? They poured out their blood for the Lord Jesus, and they will be next in closer. After that group, so you have the main group of redeemed, you have the those martyred, and then the next group in after that is the 144,000. Did you know that there's one group in even closer than 144,000? Listen to this. This shows the love of Christ and his power to redeem. Listen to this. Great Controversy, page 665. It says, Nearest the throne are those who were once zealous in the cause of Satan. Isn't that wonderful? Nearest the throne are those who were once zealous in the cause of Satan. But who, plucked as brands from the burning, have followed their Savior with deep, intense devotion. 
Maybe the Apostle Paul will be there. He sure was an agent of Satan for a time. Maybe Mary Magdalene was, will be there. She had seven devils cast out of her, and the Lord a number of times cast demons out of her. And when she poured out her wealth upon Jesus in a love gift of wonderful perfume, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, this story needs to be told. The love that that woman poured out on the Savior because he forgave her of her sins. She was conscious of the wonderful redemption that Christ had given her. Nearest the throne are those who were once in the, zealous in the cause of Satan, but who plucked as brands from the burning have followed their Savior with deep, intense devotion. Next, now here the 144,000 are described. Next are those who perfected Christian characters. Next are those who perfected Christian characters in the midst of falsehood and infidelity. Those who honored the law of God when the Christian world declared it void. Brothers and sisters, you and I are soon to face the Sabbath Sunday controversy. The, the Roman Catholicism and the world in the main are going to try and foist upon the world pressure to keep Sunday, which is a false day of worship, in direct denial of Scripture. God will have a people in these last days who clearly stand for the seventh-day Sabbath and the law of God, and they will not back down as the world comes at them with vengeance and persecution, but they will have a very clear testimony. And in the uh, chapter, I believe it's final warning in this chapter, she quotes those who give the last message, and they say this to the world. They say, we dare not tamper with God's law, calling one portion essential and the other non-essential to gain the favor of the world. Christ has conquered the powers of the earth, and shall we be afraid of a world already conquered? In other words, they have such a consciousness of the eternity of truth, of the infinite power of truth, they will not bow to the pressure of Babylon in trying to get them to worship a false Christ on a false day, but they will hold to the true Sabbath. God's going to have a people like that in these last days. Now, we're going to, we have to sail fast uh, for several reasons. But as you look at the sons of Joseph, upon which the 144,000 are based, you look at quite a family with quite a lot of problems. Okay? And we'll detail that just a little bit. <clears throat> Before I do that, I'm going to still read one more thing, and then we'll get into Genesis. This is again describing the 144,000. They're coming from the tribe of Reuben from the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Judah. Anyway, it says this, 649. In all ages, the Savior's chosen have been educated and disciplined in the school. In all ages, the Savior's chosen have been educated and disciplined in the school of trial. They walked in narrow paths on earth, and they were purified in the furnace of affliction. For Jesus' sake, they endured opposition, hatred, calumny. They followed him through conflict sore. They endured self-denial and experienced bitter disappointments. Do you resonate with any of those? You do, don't you? They endured self-denial and experienced bitter disappointments by their own painful experience. They learned the evil of sin, its power, its guilt, its woe, and they look upon it with abhorrence. By their own painful experience, they learned the evil of sin, its power, its guilt, its woe, and they look upon it with abhorrence. A sense of the infinite sacrifice made for its cure humbles them in their own sight and fills their hearts with gratitude and praise which those who have never fallen cannot appreciate. 
That's wonderful. Now, let's ponder here just a little bit on the life of Jacob and his family. In my opinion, just for reading in the Bible, the book of Genesis, has got to be one of the most gripping books to read, especially when you get to Jacob and his 12 sons and Joseph being sold into Egypt and the, the conversion of his brothers and their reuniting with their father and uh, all that. Um, as you well know, Jacob was promised by divine command to have the birthright. Before the boys were born, Jacob and Esau, the family was told, the elder shall serve the younger. This was the reverse of the norm, but it was divine direction. The elder shall serve the younger. Esau was born first. Jacob was the younger, but God said the younger would get the birthright blessing. And you have this whole dynamic in the family. Isaiah, excuse me, not Isaiah, but um, Isaac and Esau were on one side, and Rebekah and Jacob were on the other. And this was a very heightened issue in that family. And, of course, as you know how it all came out, Mama helped Jacob, and they deceived Daddy. And after that, what a history in that family. Esau went out to get the birthright uh, meal by killing uh, some game. While he was gone quickly, Jacob uh, and uh, his mother made up a meal. Jacob went in, and because Isaac was blind, they took advantage of that. And Isaac said, who are you? And he said, well, I'm Esau. And he deceived his father, and his father gave him the blessing. And then after that, he had to leave home. So Jacob flees, and the story of, of God revealing himself to Jacob by the angels, he felt forsaken. And at Bethel, he had that dream of the angels ascending to heaven and coming back from heaven. The gates of heaven were open, and he felt very comforted. Even though he had sinned, he saw that the Almighty had not forsaken him. So he goes to be with his uncle Laban. He falls in love with Rachel, and Laban says, Okay, that's fine. Here's the deal. You work seven years for this girl. You prove your love for her, and you can have her. Jacob said, Happy to do it. So he happily waited and worked for seven years. They got married. And what a disappointment. Who can, exp who can explain that? How would you feel to get married to your love and wake up with her inferior sister? Leah wasn't quite so nice. So now Jacob is reaping in his own experience the deceptions that he had practiced on his father by his experience. Laban was conniving. He said, okay. <clears throat> he said, work for me another seven years. Jacob said, all right. So he worked another seven years for Rachel. And then you know the family history. Rachel didn't have children. Leah had children. And there was embitterment there. And so Rachel said, well, take my handmaid, Billah, and raise up children unto me. And so they, uh, Jacob did that. So he ended up with four wives, 12 sons, and one daughter. <clears throat> uh, you read the book of Genesis, there was some definite family fighting there. And Leah at one time said to Rachel, she said, you've stolen my husband from me. Can you imagine having family worship with four wives and 12 sons? Can you imagine some of those moments? Hostility, separation there. And then... Rachel has two sons, or she had Joseph, and he was favored, and then she, she had another son, Benjamin, and he, she died as she delivered him. But when the sons of Jacob, Leah's and the others, saw the love that he had for Joseph, they were inflamed with envy and hatred, and you know the story, they sold Joseph into Egypt. And the boys came back home, and they said, look, here's your son's coat. And they said, uh, some evil beast has gotten him. They killed an animal and put blood on it, and they did a, quite a classic cover-up. So for about 20 years, Jacob believes that Joseph is dead. And then, then the famine comes, and they hear that there's food in Egypt, so he says to his sons, go buy food. So they went to buy food. 
They came back home. They said, well, they said, you know what? We got food, but we're not going back without Benjamin. And Jacob said, there is no way I can give Benjamin up. And Reuben said, well, he said, he said, if, if Benjamin doesn't come back on the second trip, he said, you can kill my two sons. And Jacob wouldn't have, J- Jacob did not have confidence in Reuben. Um, those of you who have read the Bible, as you well know, Reuben <clears throat> uh, violated his father's maid, Bila, Rachel's maid. And because of that, and as you know, Paul says in the book of Corinthians, that even the Gentiles don't do that kind of sin, but Reuben did it. And because of that, Reuben forfeited the birthright blessing, being progenitor of the Messiah, and so forth. So Jacob didn't really have confidence in Reuben's words. Later on, the famine got so severe, though, they had to go get food. And they said, look, they said, if, you know, we've got to take this risk because we've got to have food. And, Jake, and so Judah stepped in and he said, look. Now, the Bible says of Judah, he, it says, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. If I may, I want to read just a little comment here about Judah in this book. I have a little book here called The Cross and Its Shadow by Stephen Haskell. Haskell, and he makes this statement. A life of conflict, now this is talking about Judah, a life of conflict and victory over the selfish tendencies of his own heart. A life of conflict and victory over the selfish tendencies of his own heart is bound up in the words, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Judah said to his father, he said, Father, he said, if Benjamin doesn't come back, he says, I myself will be responsible for the boy. I will be responsible for the boy. So Jacob said, okay, he said, send a gift to the governor of Egypt. And if I may be bereaved of my children, he says, I shall be bereaved. So they go down again a second time to uh, Egypt and um, they were entertained by Joseph. And then Joseph told his captain, he said, take the silver cup and put it in Benjamin's sack and send them on their way. So they're happily going on their way. They had had a successful trip. And they get out of the city a ways. And all at once, uh, Joseph Stewart comes up behind them. And he says, what are you doing? He said, look, we've just given you a meal and all this he said, what are you doing taking the governor's cup? And they said, we haven't taken the governor's cup. He said, oh, yes, you have. And they said, well, they said, if we've taken the governor's cup, they said, well, I'll be slaves to you. And he said, fine. So they went through him, the eldest to the youngest. And when they got to, when they got to Benjamin's sack, the cup was in there. And the brothers came unglued. They rent their clothes. They wept. They said, our sins have, our sins have been found out. So they go back to Joseph, and I would like for you to take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. And I'm looking at verse 13. Genesis chapter 44, verse 13. There. Then they rent their clothes and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? I want you to know something here. I'm going to read on down through this. I'm just going to let the Bible speak, but I just want you to make an observation here with me. Judah was the father of the tribe from which Christ came. And here you can see the characteristics of Christ in the character of Judah. He was willing to sacrifice himself. When it came to the wrongs of his brethren, he was willing to intercede in their behalf and to take the blame upon himself instead of having the blame rest upon his brethren. And this is what Christ has done for us. Jesus 
when he died on the cross and he's now interceding for us in the heavenly sanctuary, brothers and sisters, praise God. He is willing to take your blame and my blame, lay it on himself, and deliver us from the load of that guilt and wrong and also transform us into his character. It's absolutely wonderful. And Judah and his brethren, verse 14, came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, Joseph is now talking, God forbid that I should do this, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. In other words, not the rest of you men, but Benjamin is going to be my slave. Both, uh, But the man in whose hand this cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Now Judah is really He's really in the corner now. And he comes forward and he says this. Verse 18. Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servants, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord, he's talking to Joseph, ask his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down to you, Ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, You know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely is torn in pieces, and I saw him not. And if ye take this also from me, that is Benjamin, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father? At this time, Joseph now sees that his brethren are fully converted. If you, when you look, read Genesis, you see the story of Jacob's family. There was all kinds of sins that went on in that family. They're very clearly presented in the Bible. Simeon and Levi, when their sister Dinah was violated before marriage by a Shechemite boy in order to get revenge. They not only got revenge on the Shechemite boy that had violated their sister, they destroyed a whole village. And if you read Jacob's dying uh, blessings, and of course he cursed Simeon and Levi for that in his dying um, um, words, um, it, was a, it, was a terrible, it was a terrible sin. It was just, and as you go all down through the characteristics, characteristics of these sons they had strengths and they had weaknesses when Joseph's brothers came to him in Egypt he saw before him full evidence of their repentance and their transformation of character and then he revealed himself to them you know I don't know which tribe I'm going to be in by the grace of God I'm determined by the grace of God to be amongst one of them 
But did you know that the names, the Bible says that the, the foundations in Revelation chapter 21, the foundations of the city are named after the 12 apostles, and the gates will have the names of one of the 12 tribes over them. Even Reuben, who was pronounced unstable as water, weak and very weak in character, there will be 12,000 of the, of the 144,000 that come from his tribe. They were very weak, but they overcame by the grace of God. In the case of Simeon and Levi, you remember Levi at, uh, at the, uh, when there was idolatry in Israel and Moses said those who are on the Lord's side come over and all the tribe of Levi came over and they were the ones who executed judgment on those who had, uh, were into idolatry at that time. And then they became the, the priesthood in Israel. In that case, God turned the curse into a blessing. So what the Lord does, you know, as you read scripture, you, I, here's one thing you're going to see. There is a, there is a lifelong, and you can say in some ways it even reaches, it definitely reaches into eternity. There is a lifelong loss for any sin that's committed. Let's face it. That's one thing. But that's not the only fact. God also takes the weakness of men and transforms them into his image, and our weaknesses can become our strengths. So the Lord can take families that have a lot of problems and he can save them and heal them. The Lord can take individuals that have a lot of problems and he can save them and heal them. I want to read you just a couple statements here because these are so good. This is talking about how Christ interacted with his disciples. And you know, they were faulty. Read about it. Listen to this. It says Jesus reproved his disciples. Do you know what it means to reprove? Correct. Show them where they're wrong. He warned and cautioned them. But John and Peter and their brethren did not leave him. In other words, Jesus corrected them. They didn't become offended. They accepted it. And they did not leave him. Notwithstanding the the reproofs, they chose to be with Jesus. And the Savior did not, because of their errors, withdraw from them. He takes men as they are with all their faults and weaknesses and trains them for his service if they will be disciplined and taught by him. I'm going to read it again. The Savior did not, because of their errors, withdraw from them. He takes men as they are with all their faults and weaknesses and trains them for his service if they will be disciplined and taught by him. You know, in the book, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, and I'm going to read this to you. Lord willing. Yep, here it is. The experience of Jacob wrestling with Christ at Bethel and then finally having his name changed from Jacob to Israel, meaning as a prince thou hast prevailed with God and man, he experienced that transformation of character. Those who go through the end of time will especially experience this. It will be time of Jacob's trouble. They'll be holding on to Christ. Listen to this. Such will be the experience of God's people in their final struggle. Talking about Jacob's struggle with Christ. Such will be the experience of God's people in their final struggle with the power of evil. Listen now. God will test their faith. Plan on it. God will test your faith. Plan on it. So hold on to him. God will test their faith, their perseverance. They won't give up. God will test their faith, their perseverance, their confidence in his power to deliver them. All right? Hang on, brothers and sisters, by faith. Hang on to those promises in his word. Now listen to this. Satan will endeavor to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless. Satan will endeavor to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that their sins have been too great to receive pardon. They will have a deep sense of their shortcomings, and as they review their lives, their hopes will sink. But remembering the greatness of God's mercy and their own sincere repentance, they will plead his promises made through Christ to helpless, repenting sinners. Their faith will not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. They will lay hold of the strength of God 
as Jacob lay hold of the angel, and the language of their souls will be, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. They will not let go. Uh, There's got to be a number of you adults. I'm one of them in this congregation today that if I had my life to live over again, there are some choices I would have made that I would not have made. That I made that I would not have made. Okay? So those of you young people here in this audience today, please, please learn from the Bible and secondly from us, don't sin. Don't do it. Uh uh. Stay away from it. Follow your God. Love your God. In the in the days of thy youth, remember thy creator. They will take hold of the angel and their souls will be will will the language of their souls will be I will not let thee go except thou bless me. <clears throat> Thus it will be with those who live in the last days as danger surround them and despair seizes upon the soul they must depend solely upon the merits of the atonement. We can do nothing of ourselves. In all our helpless unworthiness we must trust in the merits of the crucified and risen savior. None will perish while they do this. Okay, so the devil's going to try and press in our wrong, but we must hold on to Jesus. And you know what? There's the bright side of the cross. We should rejoice that Jesus is willing to forgive us, and we should adopt the language of the Apostle Paul who said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Do you think Paul didn't have a load on his mind thinking about what he had done to the church of Christ in the past? You better believe he did. But you know what? That motivated him to be more devoted to God. And whatever sins we have committed in our lives, we should repent of them and we should cling on to Christ and that should motivate us more than ever to be more devoted to God. But the Lord's going to pick out of... Evidently, Jacob's 12 sons, and you study them, that's very interesting. Gad, Naphtali, Joseph, Reuben, Simeon, Levi... uh, it's very interesting in the book, um, of course, the Bible, the cross and its shadow. There's a real good book by Leslie Harding called The, the Conquerors. Some of these books, they'll go in and they'll study out the characteristics of these tribes. All of us fall into one of those categories. We all do. And, and out of all of them, the Lord's going to have those who surrender to him. Um, I'm just trying to think how to wrap this up. Brothers and sisters... It is true that only those who have a character purified will be fit for heaven. That's true. But let me share something with you. Jesus is a complete Savior. You cannot change your own heart. We cannot change our own hearts. We cannot forgive ourselves of our sins. We cannot make those changes on our own. We cannot, of our own, transform the character we must remember Jesus is a complete Savior and we must come to Him like we are. We must hold on to Him by faith and not let go. Amen. We must be like Jacob when he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And as the song said, In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. But what's thrilling about the sons of Joseph, you read all these different categories of, of checkered lives and failures and even in the cases of some vicious, wicked sins. But what, you, what you're going to see is that God, as in the case of Levi and the others, he turned the curse into a blessing and he will do that in our, our lives too. Let me share about one more thing and then we'll be done. Here's... Here's now is Joseph and his brothers and his father, they're united. Joseph sees his father after 20 years. It's and so Joseph brought in five brothers to Pharaoh. They saw him. And then on another occasion, Joseph brought Jacob in before Pharaoh. I just want to read you a couple sentences here in book Patriarchs and Prophets. This is so illuminating. It says, not long after their arrival, Joseph brought his father also to be presented to the king. The patriarch, that is Jacob, the patriarch was a stranger in royal courts. 
He wasn't familiar with the that life. The patriarch was a stranger in royal courts. But amid the sublime scenes of nature, he had communed with a mightier monarch, meaning God. But amid the scenes of nature, he had communed with a mightier monarch, that is God. And now listen to this. Here was the consequence of that communion with God. And brothers and sisters, this is what we need. We need to behold Christ in his word. We need to commune with him. And as we communion with him, we will be transformed into the same image. Beholding as it were, Paul says, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image. Jesus will change us if we will depend upon him and commune with him and transform us into the same image. The patriarch was a stranger in royal courts, but amid the sublime scenes of nature... He had communed with a mightier monarch. And now listen to this last sentence, or part of it. And now, in conscious superiority, he raised his hands and blessed Pharaoh. The transforming power of the grace of God in Jacob's life And in the lives of his sons transformed them to the point when Jacob was brought before the great leader of the world at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He could raise his hands and bless Pharaoh and he was conscious of his superiority over Pharaoh. Now that's genuine royalty implanted in the soul by the transforming power of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can praise God though we have sinned against him. He will forgive us and we must press on and allow him to continue this work of transformation. I believe that when the latter rain goes forth, those who are giving it, though they have sinned in the past, they will be so conscious of the love of Christ, of the holiness of his law, and all that is implicated in all these things that even with the world and all of its towering impressiveness comes after them, they will not be intimidated. They will say, Christ has conquered the powers of the world and shall we be afraid of a world already conquered? And they will not love their lives unto the death. So stick close to the Lord. A new year is coming. Let's ponder the path of our feet. Let's stick with Christ. There's a revival on foot. Jesus is coming soon. May God bless you. And may you be blessed, and I pray that we will all meet on the sea of glass. Amen. Amen.